Thanks very much, Scott. Good evening, everybody. Thank you all for coming along tonight. It's great to see everyone. Can I wish you all a very happy new year? As Scott said, this evening we're beginning a new series that will run over the next several Sunday nights called Psalms of Resilience. Now, Psalms was a book that was originally written for a Jewish audience. It's a collection of 150 praises that expressed the worship, the adoration, and the longing of God's Old Testament people, Israel. They were meant to be sung in praise to the Lord. They helped to define Israel as the kind of worshipping community that God had always intended them to be. And in the Hebrew text, Psalms is actually five separate books. It's almost meant to mirror the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And this series is going to be focusing on some of the Psalms found in book one which runs from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. Now, most of these were written by David, and for the most part, they're poems that talk about difficult situations. The psalmist is normally in some kind of trouble. But what characterizes book 1 most of all is that the distress of the psalmist is punctuated time and time again by a firm confidence in God. That God has saved in the past and he will save again in the future. Time and again, the psalmist finds resilience because they're certain that despite everything that's happening to them, God is still God. And that's a reality that God wants all of his people in every age to experience, including us tonight, to be strong, to be faithful, and to be productive even when everything around us is changing. And hopefully by looking into these psalms, we're going to pinpoint the source of that resilience and how it can impact each of our lives for God. So tonight, we're going to start at the very beginning and look at Psalm 1, which is the gateway into the entire book. And Psalm 1 really sets the tone for everything that comes after. It stresses that anybody who wants to be a part of God's people, a part of God's community, first and foremost needs to embrace God's word and live by what it says. The writer says that in the end, there is only two ways to live, to embrace his word or to reject it. And that's just as true today for us as it was for Israel then. So let's begin by reading this psalm together and then we'll unpack what it can mean for us. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, we're at page 448. Or feel free to follow along on the screen Or just listen along if you would prefer. Psalm 1 and verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, But the way of the wicked will perish. Now this psalm comes in three different parts. And in each of those parts, we're given a very distinct contrast. And it's a contrast that highlights two very different ways of life. 
In verses 1 and 2, we see two different kinds of values. In verses 3 and 4, there's two different kinds of fruitfulness. And then in verses 5 and 6, we're given two very different outcomes to their lives. So first of all, in the first two verses, we're shown two very different sets of values. The psalmist starts off with the words, blessed is the man, or blessed is the person. The idea of a blessed person is a theme that comes up again and again and again throughout the Bible. And it really comes to the fore in the New Testament. Blessing is one of Christ's central themes in the Sermon on the Mount. When somebody says that someone is blessed, I wonder what kind of image comes into your mind. Maybe someone sailing through life with lots of money and popularity and good health, with the perfect family and happy relationships and holidays three times a year. But with God, that's not what true blessing really is. It's about something much, much deeper. And this psalm is all about what a life blessed by God really looks like. And it imagines a specific godly person, almost like a case study for us to follow. And the psalmist says that this truly blessed person doesn't do one thing, but does another thing instead. First of all, they don't follow the pattern of a world that rejects God. They don't have the same values as everyone else. They don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. They don't stand in the way of sinners. And they don't sit in the seat of scoffers. In other words, they have a very different moral code. Now, in Israel at this time, there were plenty of people who wanted to be counted in the ranks of God's people who wanted to enjoy all of the benefits of the land that he had given them, but didn't have any intention whatsoever of living by the covenant and keeping up their part of the bargain. They wanted God's blessing, but they were also attracted to the lifestyle of the nations around them. They didn't really want to be tied down to what God told them to do. And the psalmist says right off the bat in Psalm 1, that is not how this works. Being blessed means living a distinct and godly life. God's old covenant and the blessings that came with it depended on the obedience of the people. Now, of course, they weren't perfect, but they had to be making an effort. And that's every bit as true for us today under the new covenant in Christ. Now, of course, our salvation doesn't depend on anything that we can do. It's resting completely on the finished work of the cross. But if we really want to be God's people tonight... If we really want to be God's people in practice, if we really want to be people who are blessed by him, the starting point is having nothing to do with sin. Not letting ourselves be influenced by the society and the culture around us. Because the psalm says very clearly that that is a very slippery slope. It says, first we walk, and then we stand, And then we sit down. We become more and more and more committed to the wrong values. Now it starts off harmlessly enough, walking in the counsel of the wicked, it says. It's the image of walking along with somebody casually. And all of us are guilty of casual sin, aren't we? Maybe letting a bad word slip out or losing our temper 
or allowing ourselves to watch that series on TV that everyone else is watching, which has lots of stuff that God might not like. It seems harmless because we're not making a habit out of it. But the psalmist says that it's anything but harmless. The psalmist says that we can't flirt with sin. Because if we allow ourselves away with it once in a while, it becomes much easier to soak up more and more of the wrong kinds of behavior. Until we're swearing without even realizing it. We're taking that drink more and more often just to be sociable. We're maybe having that cigarette that we used to say no to. We learn to become morally comfortable with certain things until it reaches the point where we have no problem whatsoever joining in with what everyone else is doing. Psalm 1 calls that standing in the way of sinners. On Facebook recently, I saw that someone I know who used to be a really enthusiastic Christian, who used to organize prayer meetings whenever we were students, was actively taking part in the last Belfast Pride. And over their social media, they were voicing their support for marriage equality. Compromising on some Christian values can lead very easily to compromising on others, and others, and others. Until, before we know it, we are scoffing at what we claim to believe. Whether we're meaning to do it blatantly or not, it's like our whole lifestyle is laughing at God. We're not just walking. We're not just standing. We're sitting down with what the world is doing. Whenever I was in primary school, we had a gang. We all hung out together at break and lunchtime. We all got invited to each other's birthday parties. We all swapped our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trading cards. If you were in our gang, you had made it. And lots of people wanted to join in our gang. When we were walking through the playground, other people would be walking along with us and standing alongside us whenever we were talking. But you were only an actual member of our gang if you got to sit at our table at lunch. That is when you were in. And this is exactly the same idea. If we compromise on godly morality before we even know it, we're in. Let's not be complacent. All of us need to constantly check what our influences truly are. Because the wrong values in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives is like the highway to spiritual shipwreck. Now some of the younger guys here tonight might be struggling with that very thing. Maybe every weekend your friends are putting pressure on you to come out drinking with them or clubbing. And you might really want to do that. And you can think of all kinds of reasons why it's not going to do you any harm. But this is something that God said to Israel. And something that he says to us too today as his church. He said, go out from their midst and be separate from them. Now, that does not mean that we don't have friends who aren't Christians. The Lord Jesus was called the friend of sinners. He was a real friend. He got alongside people. He spent time with them. He went to dinner with them. But he never once allowed his life to be influenced by their point of view. 
To be separate doesn't mean not having friends. It means having different values and sticking to them. And knowing when it's appropriate to take a step away. We can be friends with somebody and still disagree with them. And that's the first thing that a blessed person does. And then the second thing they do is they find their values in a very different place. By looking into and living by the word of God. Allowing God's word to dictate how they live. Not just letting it wash over them, but delighting in God's word. Being so taken up with it that they live it and breathe it and meditate on it. They make God's word their habit. The psalmist says that it should be such a priority that we think about it day and night. Now, this psalm was written originally to instruct the people who were singing it in the hope that those people would embrace the values of the Torah, God's law. That they would want more and more to be people who love God's law, who love God's word, people who believe it and want it to be demonstrated in their lives both personally and corporately. And if it was that important for Old Testament Israel, how much more important must it be for us? At the time of Psalm 1, Israel probably only had Genesis to Deuteronomy. We have 61 books more than they did. We have got the full revelation tonight. We have got everything that God has ever wanted us to know. So why wouldn't we want to look into it? And live by it every day. Now this is something I have to confess I really struggle with. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Whenever it's nine o'clock at night. And the children have gone down. And you've just finished doing the dishes. And tidying up the living room. And you haven't opened the Bible all day. But what you really want instead is an hour or two hours with Netflix instead. I feel that way a lot of the time. But if we're struggling to make time for God's word. Can I maybe suggest... The really good way and a really practical way to help us along might be to follow a reading plan with other people. Um, some of our members here at Crescent joined a group last year where they all went through the Bible in one year. They all followed the same daily plan and they created a WhatsApp group to encourage one another along. And maybe at the start of this year, um, if you're struggling to have discipline in your reading life, it might be a good a good opportunity to think about joining up to something similar. And if that's something you want to do, um, please come and talk to somebody afterwards. I'm sure that there will be lots of people who would love to partner up with you and help you to, uh, to foster that discipline in your reading life and also to put what you're reading into practice. Because, of course, it's not enough just to read. We also have to do what it says. And that can be the hardest bit. But that's exactly how we please God. When we don't just read, but we do. Now, that's not the recipe for a problem-free life, but it is the recipe for obeying, reading his word and obeying his word is the recipe to blessing in our lives from God. And if you're not a Christian tonight, if you've maybe come here tonight for a visit, then can I first of all make you really welcome and thank you for taking the time to come along. But can I also encourage you to look into God's word for yourself? The good news of the Bible is that God wants to bless you too. And he does that through the person that the Bible is all about, his son, Jesus. He wants you to experience the ultimate blessing of having your sins forgiven and having a place in his family. Now, tonight, 
if you're honest with yourself, you might be a scoffer. Inwardly or outwardly. You might think that the Bible is nothing more than opium for the masses. But why don't you read it first before you make up your mind? And discover first how God loved you so much that he died for you on a cross so that he could bless you. We all need to think about where our values come from. Because our values have a lasting effect on what kind of life we live. And it has a lasting effect on what kind of fruit our lives produce. And that's what the psalmist shows us in verses 3 and 4. Two different kinds of fruitfulness. These two sets of values that they've spelled out in verses 1 and 2 have a very different effect on people. And to illustrate that, we're given two images that couldn't be more different from one another. The first is a tree thriving in a dry climate, and the second is chaff blown away in the wind. The first one compares someone who embraces God's word to a tree. Now, ancient Palestine had a very dry climate. Some trees out in the wild would just wither away and never really produce anything worthwhile because they didn't get enough water. But this is a very different kind of tree. It's a tree that's planted by streams of water. And that's what the person who delights in God's word is like. And there's three things that characterize that kind of person. Roots, nourishment, and fruit. Firstly, that person has their roots in the right place. It's not a tree that's growing out in the wild that's at the mercy of the climate. It's a tree that's planted specifically by a constant supply of running water. Its roots go down deep into the fertile soil so it stays strong and unmoving. One of my favorite programs is Who Do You Think You Are? which traces the genealogy of different celebrities. And one I always remember featured the actor John Hurt. John Hurt's family always believed that they had Irish ancestry. And he came on the program hoping that he was finally going to trace his Irish roots to their true origin. For some reason, this really meant a lot to him. It was a big part of who he believed he was. And by the end of the documentary, he discovered that he didn't have any Irish roots at all. And he was devastated. You could see his whole self-image just crumbling before your eyes. It was almost painful to watch. His sense of self was built on something that wasn't true. And that's almost what human life can be like. Who we think we are is built on things that can change at any minute, whether it's family or relationships or career. One slight change can uproot our lives completely. That's exactly why the letter to the Colossians says, let your roots grow down into Christ. Let your lives be built on him. If you're rooted in the source of all life, your roots will be so strong that it doesn't matter what changes It doesn't matter what you're experiencing. It doesn't matter what's taken away from you. You will still be able to stand firm because you have been planted so deep. Now, at times in our lives, our lives seem to veer completely off course. Maybe at times whenever we lose somebody close to us or we're facing the prospect of serious illness. But even in those times, if we are rooted in Christ, 
the core of who we are in him endures. We are grounded in the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we don't just have roots. We also have nourishment. We thrive and we grow. Ephesians talks about the water of God's word. And that's a perfect description for it. Because his word is the very thing that allows a Christian to endure and to develop. His word is living. His word is powerful. And it keeps us from weathering and fading and falling away even when things get too much for us. If we keep his word close to us, we are nourished every day. Just like water nourishes a tree so that the tree can produce fruit. And that's what God's blessing is actually for. Fruitfulness. Whenever God created humankind at first, it says that he blessed them. And then he said to them, be fruitful. That is what the, that is the purpose that each of us were created for. But whenever a tree bears fruit, it doesn't bear fruit just for itself. It's really meant for the benefit of others, isn't it? So whenever we're fruitful, it's not so that we're fruitful for ourselves. It's actually so that we can help to bring a blessing to those around us. But what does that look like in practical terms? Well, the letter to the Galatians gives us a clue. The Apostle Paul describes the effect of the Holy Spirit on a believer's life if they cooperate with him. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Each of those characteristics were perfectly expressed in Christ. If you read down that list, that is a description of exactly who Jesus is. And that kind of practical fruit, that practical outworking, of the life of God inside us. Maybe being patient with somebody who's difficult. Maybe not losing your temper whenever someone in work is acting up. Maybe being faithful to your friends even when they don't deserve it. That kind of practical fruit brings the light and the life of Christ to others. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that I could use a bit more of each of those qualities in my own life. And if we ask God to produce that fruit, And if we look into his word and seek to live by it, then he will produce that in each of our lives so that we can be the kind of people that we were meant to be. That's what happens whenever we follow his word. But if we don't, if we neglect the Bible, if we neglect what God is saying to each of us, what we'll find is that our Christian lives float about here and there without any grounding, without any confidence, blown about It says, like a piece of chaff. Now, chaff is the leftover husks and straw from a grain of wheat. Chaff is the light and useless part that gets thrown away. What happens is a farmer tosses the threshed wheat into the air so that the wind catches the chaff and blows it away. And if we don't want to be held to what God's word tells us to do as Christians... The alternative is to float about on the air. Now that might sound easier for us in the short term. But ultimately that is a waste of our spiritual life. And it's also scoffing at the sacrifice of the cross. 
We bring no benefit to anyone. And in the end, we just drift away. And if you're not a believer in Christ at all tonight, the sobering reality is that spiritually, you are just like that piece of chaff. A dead husk. Drifting about without any true direction or purpose or future. Now you might be content to let the wind just carry you along. It can be nice for a while to be chaff because it feels like you're really free. That you're not tied down to anything or anyone. But in the end, that kind of freedom just drives you further and further away from what life is really all about. But there's good news. Jesus Christ died so that you wouldn't be taken by the wind. He died so that you could have eternal roots. He wants you to live a life that's fruitful, a life that never withers, that never fades. That's the kind of life that some people spend their whole lives looking for and never find. And that's the kind of life that's only found in him. So can I ask you gently tonight, what kind of fruit is your life producing? That fruit determines what the ultimate outcome of your life is going to be. And in verses 5 and 6, we're shown that there are only two possible outcomes. If you are content to be chaff, if you are content to consistently reject God and to push him out of your life, There is only one outcome for you. Verse 5 says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now what does that mean, the judgment? Well, the New Testament helps us to understand it a bit better. And the New Testament also uses the metaphor of trees and fruit, and wheat and chaff. Whenever John the Baptist was preparing the way for Christ, he said that, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he said that one day Christ would come and clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The last phrase of Psalm 1 sums it up very succinctly. It says, The way of the wicked will perish. Perish is a word that the Bible uses whenever it's talking about God's judgment. One day, we don't know when it's going to be, Christ is going to come again. He's going to come and he is going to judge the sin of the world. Everyone who hasn't trusted in him. And that judgment is compared to unquenchable fire. Sometimes we call it hell. Literally somewhere the fire never stops burning. And that's not a very comfortable thing to think about. But we have to think about it. Because whenever Christ returns to judge the world, it's going to be too late. Now is the only time that we have to do something about it. God doesn't want us to perish. The best known verse in the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. He wants to gather you in as one of his own, safe and sound. That's why he sent Christ to earth, not as your judge, but as your saviour. He went to the cross to take that judgment for you. Whenever he was on Calvary, he faced God's wrath for all of our sin. The one truly blessed man. The one whose life was more fruitful than anyone who ever lived. Stepped down into that unquenchable fire. So that we would never have to. So that we could stand before him blameless on that day. So that imperfect people just like you and me could join the congregation of the righteous in heaven. That's the outcome that he really wants for your life. That's why he sent Christ. So that we could know the blessing, the true blessing of being a child of God. I might be speaking to a Christian tonight who doesn't feel very blessed. Who's facing this new year with trepidation. Maybe worrying about a son or daughter who's taking the wrong path. Or wondering how you're going to make ends meet this January. Or facing the prospect of hospital treatment. Despite doing your best to live by God's word. Life is tough. Take comfort tonight that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Almighty God knows you as his very own, with eternal love, with unending affection. He knows where you've come from. He knows where you are. He knows where he's taking you. And he knows what fruit he's producing in your life, even if you don't. And knowing that, all of us can find resilience in him, whatever we might be going through. Or maybe I'm speaking to a Christian tonight who's been content until now to be chaff. Who's made a habit of ignoring God's word. If you're a Christian and you're in that situation, you're not going to face God's eternal judgment. But one day, he is going to judge the work that you've done. Our work will also be tested by fire. To see what kind of work it is. To see whether or not that work has been worthwhile. And if it's just chaff, if it's just the leftovers, if it's just waste, then that work will be burned up and come to nothing. It'll have no value. We'll have wasted our life on earth. We'll reach eternity with very little to show for it. Let's never settle for a life like that. May God help each of us to seek his blessing every day with all of our hearts by rejecting sin and embracing his word so that we can produce fruit for him for now and for eternity.